I just slipped through an exam and you're listening to a Radio 1 91 FM podcast. You are tuned into the one Radio 191 FM. Right now, we are joined by Dr. Murat Angor from the university's Department of Economics. Atamariye, how are you going? Ah, good morning, Jamie. How are you today? Very good. Thank you so much for joining us. Right, we're going to talk about the global supply chain crisis and its flow-on effects. Um, you know, and like any good crisis, it needs to have a beginning. How do we kind of get to this point? Sure, Jamie. Uh, first of all, thank you very much for having me. Uh, we need to understand what we mean by global value chains. I think instead of talking about supply chains, value chains is a more relevant term. So uh, over the past few decades, production has become more global. Yeah. What this means is that instead of taking place in one single location, the production of a final good uh, involves many countries over several stages of production. Mm-hmm. And the sequence of stages in the production of a good or service that involves many countries is what forms our global value chain. Think about the iPhone. So Apple's iPhone is made with the hundreds of parts sourced in 43 countries and assembled in China. Or think about the Pfizer-BioNTech vaccine. So 280 countries, uh, 280 different components manufactured in uh, 86 countries, uh, 86 uh, locations in different countries. So we have fragmentation of global production, and COVID has changed everything because COVID brought uh, problems for global value chains. Uh, The first thing is that shipping costs have risen, increased dramatically, exponentially due to the shortage of containers and government social distance, uh, distancing uh, restrictions. Let me just give you one example. A 20-foot container from Shanghai to New Zealand, which cost around 500 US dollars before pandemic, was costing businesses around 5,000 US dollars in September 2021. So we are talking about tenfold increase. And on top of that, energy prices in the OECD increase like close to 30% in the year to November. And finally, we had the uh, Russian invasion of Ukraine. And in the early morning of 24th of February, the price of crude oil rose above uh, 100 US dollars per barrel. Mm-hmm. So this uh, creates all type of shipping cost increases and disruptions in the uh, global value chain. Are we seeing increases in shipping costs as well due to the fact of global consumption? Because that was a little bit of a surprise to a lot of economists, right? When we went into lockdowns around the world, the um, people thought there'd be tightening of belts, but instead you saw a massive rush online. Yes, yes. So basically consumption uh, increased, and we have this phenomenon so-called pent-up demand. So initially there was the uh, disruption in the supply chains, and then we had the online uh, tools because digitalization of the global economic activity has been one of the characteristic features of the uh, COVID and the post-COVID world. Yeah. So right now we have pent-up demand, and people uh, also remember one thing. Uh, governments all around the world uh, basically uh, gave money uh, to their people to help with the detrimental effects of COVID. So there were lots of fiscal supports to individuals, and therefore 
uh, people were able to uh, spend that money uh, for their consumption, uh, consumption, consumption demand. So basically, we have increases in demand, and because of increasing demand, uh, so there are lots of uh, shipping uh, delays happened, mm-hmm. and containers and all those uh, shipping has been delayed, and this caused significant amount of disruption in supply chain. Are we also is it a fact of um, you know if you take one cog out of the wheel the whole system breaks down. So say you've like you said you've got manufacturing of iPhones going on in in China in southern China uh, and you've got parts coming in from outside of China for those iPhones. But if they're not uh, if China's shut down, you've got you know you've got potential for having um, container build up or just ships offshore sitting there waiting to be unloaded, and that can take weeks and weeks and weeks. This is exactly true, and uh, it is very important that you mention China, because China has the zero-COVID policy. So this zero-COVID policy implemented in China has also disrupted domestic economic activity in China and has impacted manufacturing activity and logistic around the major global hub, which is Shanghai. So mm-hmm. the Shanghai is the world's largest cargo, uh, cargo port, and therefore, unpredictable domestic supply chains within China resulted in idled factories and warehouses and low production output. So, and remember, China has been the uh, global manufacturing warehouse since mid 1990s. Mm, mm. So, therefore, savings were being redirected to other ports, and that simply added to congestion. Uh, so the zero COVID policy implemented in China has also consequences for the uh, global supply chain problems. Yeah, and we're seeing that in other countries too, not just China. Vietnam, for one, which has you know uh, become over the course of the last couple of decades a big supplier as well. Exactly, exactly. Vietnam has been known as the next Asian tiger. Mm. Uh, so Vietnam economic reforms in Vietnam started uh, after 1986. So they have Doi Moi, which is the renovation and innovation. So basically they have uh, economic reforms, and with their economic reforms, they are actually mimicking the success story of China. And Vietnam has been showing very high growth rates since 1986, and they are the next tiger. And as as we know, some of the uh, multinational IT companies, they also have branches in Vietnam. So we will hear the name of Vietnam a lot uh, in recent, uh, in, in upcoming decades. Yeah. So it is important because you cannot just rely on China as one uh, source of source of all the supply chain. Uh, diversification is very key term here, and therefore many major multinational companies they are trying to diversify their suppliers within uh, East Asia uh, with other countries. So therefore, Vietnam is another important country in that aspect. Yeah, and, and you know, is this just a big knock-on effect? And no one could see this coming, but of years of companies moving into these nations, like, you know, uh, f- f- in, until the, the 70s and the 80s, uh, pr- you know, economies like New Zealand, we had a lot of manufacturing here. And mm-hmm. I remember the last big shift for Otiputi was the uh, Fisher & Paykel taking manufacturing yes, offshore yes, exactly. to, to exactly. Thailand and to Mexico. Um, so is this a big knock-on effect of um, you know companies like Fisher and Paykel moving manufacturing offshore? Uh, so this phenomenon has been called as deindustrialization. So basically, if you look at all of the rich countries, uh, they 
So manufacturing employment share and manufacturing output has been declining in those countries. And look at uh, uh, Dunedin, for example. So what are the two major uh, income-generating sectors here? Education, we have the university. Mm-hmm. Uh, university is a service sector, and we have the hospital. Hospital is a service sector. And you walk, and you walk on the George Street, what you see is uh, hair salons or bars or restaurants. They are all part of the service sector. In other words, uh, New Zealand is a service sector economy. Mm-hmm. And basically, we were relying on offshoring. All these manufacturing uh, were manufactured in low-wage economies, uh, mainly East Asian countries, and then we were importing. And recently, uh, many uh, policymakers in the United States started to talk about reversing this offshoring phenomenon. And they are talking about onshoring, which means bringing production back to your own country where it is safe from foreign adversary shocks. And another term that we recently learned is the nearshoring, bringing production back to friendly countries. And recently, U.S. Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen, uh, I think it was like two, uh, two weeks ago, last week, so she uses the term friendshoring. So it's an idea about deepening relationship and diversifying our supply chains with a great, uh, greater number of trusted trading partners. And the entire idea is to lower risks for our economy and for our allies' economies. But the, those lower risks, in turn, if we're moving them to friendly countries or nearby countries, will probably increase the price because of, of wage wage issues. Well, not, not wage issues, but higher wages, right? Yes, this is also true, because uh, all these East Asian countries, they have comparative advantage because of low-wage costs. We have the assembly of iPhones in China. Why? Because China uh, has had very low wages. And, and this is another problem, exactly. Once we have manufacturing plants, once we have onshoring in New Zealand or in the United States, then since developed rich nations pay higher wages, we will have higher wage costs. But then you have to have some kind of cost-benefit analysis. Mm-hmm. If this increased uh, wage costs are lower than the uh, increased supply chain uh, costs, uh, then you can actually tolerate that, and you can still uh, benefit from the ideas of nearshoring or onshoring. Yeah. Well, governments can say as much as they like, right? But it's really down to the corporations. Yes, exactly. So basically, governments can provide incentives uh, to attract foreign direct investment. This is one thing. But at the end of the day, it is the multinational companies. So governments all around the world, they can provide tax incentives uh, to foreign direct, uh, for, to get foreign direct investments. For example, we actually have this in New Zealand uh, to get the movie companies, right? Yeah. So James Cameron and all these Avatar movies. And I think there is a recent initiative to get all this digitalization of the uh, global economy. So we have digital stores, data stores, uh, so we can actually have benefit of this digitalization of the world economy in New Zealand, but as you say, it is the multinational companies, because they are the major players, and they can, they can, uh, they can affect government's decision-making process. 
Are we seeing, um, you know, a kind of, um, you know, are things getting better? Is, is there an end in sight for the issues that we're going through at the moment? Or is this something that's going to be quite long term? You know, are they building more boats? Are we getting more containers? Sure, sure. Uh, so high shipping costs, longer uh, transit times, delayed shipping and high rates are likely to be the new normal for the shipping industry. So I think uh, we will have this problem for the uh, next two, three years for sure. So these problems are not going to be solved immediately. And remember that we also have uh, increasing inflation rates all yeah. over the world. I think yesterday UK also announced inflation, which is like uh, t- uh, 10.1%. So UK has been experiencing this uh, double-digit inflation right now. So inflation all over the world has been increasing, uh, including New Zealand, and many international organizations, World Bank and IMF, they are also predicting low, grade, uh, low growth rates for 2023. So basically, the global economy uh, can experience the so-called stagflation or a recession, global recession, if you like. Yeah. So shipping cost problems and the supply chain problems will be with us. And restructuring is very costly, and it, it will take time. Yeah. Because high fixed cost of establishing relationship between firms. So this is one of the important aspects of the problem. And also, as we talk, some important inputs are very specific to particular suppliers. Think about the uh, rare metal metals from China yeah. regarding the semiconducting industry. So basically, we have a problem or crisis in semiconductors. That's why President Biden in the United States, they actually formed a working party regarding the production of uh, related inputs for the semiconductor industry in the United States. So this uh, country-specific production of imports is not going to be solved immediately. And also, it is also difficult to scale up production quickly. So you can start uh, nearshoring or onshoring, but you need some kind of increasing returns to scale. You need to uh, reach a certain level of scale so that you can increase your production, you can lower your cost, and you can become efficient and productive. And these things will take time. So I'm not optimistic in the short run. Uh, I think we will have the supply chain problems, global value chain problems, on top of inflation and uh, stagflation problems for the uh, next two, three years. Is shopping local one thing that we can do now? I mean, because you know, we talk about inflation and, uh, uh, you know, if we look at tradable and non-tradable inflation. Yep, yep, uh, yep. Non-tradable inflation is higher than non-tradable, right? So the in- internal inflation levels are a, a little bit lower than external. So we have the two components, as you say, which is the tradable component and the non-tradable component. So the rule of thumb in New Zealand was that a uh, tradable component accounted for 40%, and the non-tradable component, domestic component, accounted for 60%. But because of the crisis in Ukraine, we have very high energy prices, oil prices, mm. and we need energy uh, to produce inputs or uh, to consumption. And also we have the supply chain problems, so they will always be the pressure factors on the tradable aspect. And when you come to the uh, domestic side, uh, we also have housing problems, and housing problem and construction problem also depends on the uh, tradable part, because most of the things that we use in construction sectors, uh, basically we import them. 
Yeah. So about 90% of New Zealand's uh, building materials and products are imported. And we have lots of inf- inflation in the construction industry. So this is also another problem. So we have both domestic sources and then and, and, and the uh, tradable sources. So you can still uh, buy things locally uh, for the immediate consumption. Um, and also this can give a boost to uh, domestic producers and domestic service sectors. But uh, it will not solve our structural economic problems. All right. All right. Well, we'll leave it there. Um, thank you for your time. Thank you very much, Jamie. An absolute pleasure. Have a wonderful day. Enjoy uh, whatever this weather's going to do to us. <laughs> Enjoy the rest of the beautiful Thursday. <laughs> yeah, and we will talk again. Of course, of course. Have a good one, Jamie. Thank, thank you. you very much. Bye-bye. That was a Radio 1 91FM podcast. But find more at r1.co.nz.